0: Hi, this is Ruth Friedman, and I serve as the maharad at Ohev Shalom, the National Synagogue. Welcome back to my weekly Parsha podcast, Life Imitates Torah. So for this week's Parsha, Kitisa, we will be talking about the famous story of the golden calf, which is typically considered to be one of the two worst sins of the Israelites in the Torah, along with the story of the Meraglim or the spies. Now, we know we have so many images of the sin of the golden calf, and we know that the sin was really, really bad. But funnily, it's not actually totally clear what the sin itself was. And so what I wanted to do today was to go through the verses about it and then look at a classic debate between Rashi and Ramban, and then consider what really went wrong and what the story is really about. So Moshe has been up on the mountain getting the Luchot for many, many, many days at this point. And we're in chapter 32 in Shemot, um uh, verse 1. And the Pasuk tells us that when the people saw that Moshe was so long in coming down the mountain, they gathered against Aharon and they said, Kum aselanu Elohim asher yelchu lefanenu. So again, using the JPS translation, come make us a God, the JPS translates it with a lowercase g, who shall go before us. For that man, Moses, who brought us from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has happened to him. So Aharon's reaction immediately is to say, all right, so take off all your gold and bring it to me. And they do. And then he takes it from them and he casts it into this mold, into the calf. And they say, the people say, Ela Elohecha Yisrael asher he'ilucha me'aretz mitzrayim. Translated by the JPS is, this is your God, O Israel, o Israel who brought you out from the land of Egypt so let 's look now let 's let 's look at these verses a little bit more closely and take apart what exactly is happening here so first of all, what is the the, the catalyst for this entire um, problem is that Moshe is long in coming down the mountain right Moshe has been up there and they don 't know what 's going on and they 're getting antsy and they 're getting anxious. So what is their reaction to that to Aslanu Elohim? let's, they say to Aharon, make for us, Elohim means God. It's a more generic word for God. It could also mean a judge, depending on the context. Asher Yelchu lefanenu, who will walk before us. Now, I don't actually like the JPS translation here because they leave it in the singular. Make us a God who shall go before us. But Yelchu in Hebrew is actually plural. So it seems like make for us God's That will walk before us. Why? Because that man, Moshe, who took us out of Egypt, well, we don't know what happened to him. And Aaron's response is, okay, sure, let's take the gold and do it. And is he stalling? Is he actually into it? There are many, many ways to read Aaron's character. Um, and that's beyond the scope of what we can accomplish in this podcast, but that's also another fascinating conversation. And when the calf is actually prepared, they look at it and they say, Ella Elohecha Yisrael, Asher Heilucha This is your God. Another, again, Elohim, Israel who brought you from Egypt. And now it's he'ilucha. It's in the singular, from Egypt. So it seems like we could point to a bunch of confusion within it. They're attached to Moshe. They clearly know that Moshe is an ish, a person. The action that they are craving to replace is the person or the the being that brought them out of Egypt. And yet They seem to be substituting an Elohim, whatever that means exactly, for Moshe. They're confusing Elohim and Moshe. It's this sort of blurred line. So we have to ask, were they trying to make a new God? Or were they trying to make a new visual image, physical image of a leader to replace Moshe, who had served in that capacity until now because they don't know what happened to him? So there's a classic debate here between Rashi and Ramban. So Rashi, at least as the way that Rashi is interpreted by the Ramban, says that what happened on that day, the Satan came and confused the people. And showed them images of that suggested that Moshe had died, and so they panic, um, and they don't know what to do. And then they say, "Okay, let's make a god who's going to walk before us." And he says in his comment, "It's based on the Gemara and Sanhedrin and sixty three, Elohot harbe ivulahem that they desired multiple gods, which sounds like idolatry of odazara." Now. Be And what was the issue with Moshe? He says for Moshe, the issue was that why are they replacing Moshe with these gods? Um, that Moshe took them out of Egypt. And he showed us the path, the way that we were going to go. So now we need gods that will walk before us. So Rashi, especially as understood by the Ramban, is here saying that the people, they knew that Moshe had taken them out of Egypt and that he was guiding them. And so now they want to replace him with multiple gods, which sounds like a direct, um, you know, like I said, this is idolatry 101, um, that they need uh, statues of creatures of gods, lowercase g, um, in order to replace Moshe. So that's Rashi. Rashi. The Ramban quotes Rashi and then rejects Rashi completely. And he says, wait a minute. No, it's obvious that the Israelites knew that Moshe was not a god. They knew because they knew that God, capital G, was the one who had taken them out of Egypt and performed all the miracles but what happened with Moshe is that Moshe was actually like the physical leader um, and he therefore became like an Elohim to them. But they know that Moshe isn't actually a replacement for God. And in that respect, the way the Ramban reconciles this confusion between Moshe and, uh, and Elohim is that Ramban says, what did they want? They wanted another Moshe. They said, "Okay, Moshe has shown us the path until now. He's gone, and so we need to have another we have need to replace Moshe as a human being. We're not replacing God. We're replacing um Moshe as a human being. We need another ish Elohim, another man of God to lead us um, on our journey to the land of Israel. And the proof is that he says is twofold. First, that Aron participated um, and that if it had actually been explicitly idolatry that they wanted to replace God, capital G, Aron would not have participated in this. Um, but also that then when Moshe does come down and destroys the agel, they don't protest. And he argues if that if it had actually really been literally understood to be a God of theirs, then, of course, they would have protested when Moshe destroyed the agel. So he uses this to say, no, they're not trying to place God, capital G. They're not confused about that. They just need another person, another physical representation of God, n- not representation, representation representative agent of God, just like Moshe is, to show them the path. Now, like we said, so Rashi's arguing idolatry, Ramban says no way, they wanted to replace Moshe as a person. But I actually think that, um, I think that the Rashi itself is very confused. (laughs) I'm not totally clear when I read Rashi that he is definitely saying it's God's lowercase G plural and not also that there's a component of replacing Moshe as well. And I'm not totally satisfied with either of these readings because the language really, the, the people really do alternate seamlessly. They shift fluidly between Moshe and Elohim. So which one is it? Are they trying to replace Moshe or are they trying to replace God? And rather than analyze and nitpick to the point where we convince ourselves that it's one or the other, what I actually think the story teaches us is the very point is the confusion, that it is not clear to the people exactly what Moshe is. Is Moshe a godly figure or is he just a human being who has been appointed? and to consider until now moshe as they know him is someone who is part of their people and yet has never actually experienced any form of solidarity with them he was never a slave in egypt he never had to suffer the way that they did um he's not particularly relatable to them which is probably why there are so many moments of confrontation um his family didn't even experience the exodus right moshe's really outside of the experience of the people which is itself a fascinating commentary on on leadership and what an ideal leader is. is an ideal leader rise from within the people or is an ideal leader someone who, from the outside who is assigned? I think the book, the entire Torah has a, a lot to, to share about that. But I also want to suggest that as we continue to read the Parsha, it becomes clear that Moshe himself doesn't even really fully understand who he is. So the incident of the golden calf is in chapter 32. And if you look at chapter 33, God says to Moshe, Okay, we're going to set out from here and go to the land of Israel. And then we're told that Moshe would set up the tent and he would go in and God would descend. And then the, when the people saw the cloud on the tent, they would all rise and bow low at the entrance of the tent. And that God would speak to Moshe, Panim el Panim ka'sher ka ish el Re'ehu. That God would speak to Moshe face to face as one man speaks to another. So first of all, you read that and you tell me, is Moshe here simply a human being? Or does he have some godlike components as well? Is he on some kind of middle territory between human beings and God? And what I think really emphasizes and nails and, and drives this home is what happens next. So I'm looking now at chapter 33, verse 12. Moshe says to God, All right, you've told me now that I have to lead the people, but you haven't told me who you're going to send with me. And also, you've said that you really, you know, I've, that I, you know, I have found favor in your eyes. And so please, you know, just tell me, are you coming with me as someone else? Like, what's going on? And God responds to Moshe, okay, fine, you know, don't worry, I'll work with you. And there's this sort of this back and forth. And then, which culminates in, uh, according to my interpretation, in chapter 33, verse 18, Moshe kind of blurts out, Oh, let me behold your presence. Show me your glory, Moshe says to God. It's like almost like he's been trying to, to, to phrase this in a different way, to try to get to God and say, like, God, are you coming with me? Are we true partners? What's happening? God is saying, don't worry, don't worry, and sort of deflecting. And then Moshe just can't contain it anymore. And he says, He wants to see the full, complete, 100% God. Now, what's God's response? God says, okay, don't worry, I will make my goodness tovi." pass before you, but you cannot see my face because no man, no person can see my face and live. And so instead what God says here, there's this place near me, go to this rock and you'll go in the cleft of the rock. My presence will pass over you and um, I will protect you with my hand. Of course, there's lots of anthropomorphism here and I will take my hands away and you will see my back, but Panailo you will not see my face. So what God is really saying to Moshe here is, you can see ninety percent of me, you can know ninety percent of me, but there's that last ten percent. There's that actual seeing me face to face that you, as a human being, may not access. So I think that that's sending a message to Moshe of, yes, you are special. You do have unique access to me that no other human being does. But it's not complete. It's not 100%. You are not godly. You are a human being. And even though this interaction is, is somewhat definitive in that respect, we see that Moshe continues to have godly components. Like when he comes down and there's the karen or panav, uh, that his face is radiant, it's full of light, and he has to wear a veil when he's speaking with the people because it's too much for them. And he only takes the veil off when he's speaking with God. There's this real sense that like, okay, still, we haven't even fully satisfied this. Is Moshe godly? Or is he a human being? And if he is a human being, why does he have that full extra access to God that no one else has? And I'll just conclude, but if you look at the very end of Parshat the very end of the book of Shemot, when the tabernacle is completed and that God's um, God's presence descends upon it, right? The final nail has been nailed in. Everything is good to go. God's presence descends on it and Moshe could not enter it. This is the public display for the people. And what is the message? When when God's cloud is on the tent, Moshe cannot be in there. Moshe, we get this final conclusion at the end of the book of Shemot. Final confirmation, Moshe is human. He is not godly. But I think that just going back with this message, all of this confusion that carries through these parshas really does teach us a lesson about the golden calf. And frankly, I'm not even really totally sure what that lesson is, because I think the lesson is that the people were right to be confused. And maybe that either way to replace Moshe, or to replace God with an eagle, with a, calf, a golden calf, with a statue is not the right choice. But it's not so easy to just say, oh, well, they were wrong here. And this was idolatry. I actually think it's much more complicated and a confusion that isn't even really fully reconciled um, until the end of our book. And uh, lots to think about there, especially next time, how we tell this story to our children, how we tell the story to ourselves and what it means to be a leader is to be a leader, to commune with the higher authority and be unrelatable to the people. Or is it be to be more relatable to the people and less relatable to God? May I wish you a good Shabbos and a healthy Shabbos and may we all be safe.